0: If you have your copy of your Bibles, please turn with me to Revelation chapter five, Revelation chapter five. Today, we are in our second week of mission and missions and mercy march. Um, if you are new or visiting every year, we dedicate the month of March to focus on our core values of global missions and mercy and justice. This year, even while Pastor Andrew is away on his sabbatical, we've decided to continue this. And so for the next several weeks, for the month of March, we will be looking at what we as a church believe are two fundamental expressions of the Christian faith, missions and mercy. Last week, we had the great privilege, if you joined us last week, we had the great privilege of hearing from Pastor Dave from the book of Acts. And we saw how God calls his people to share the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to continue this and we're going to go all the way to the end now of the Bible and we're going to look at Revelation chapter 5 and see how the ransomed people of God come from every tribe and language and people and nation and why that should motivate our going and our missions. And so the title for today's message is The Ransomed People of God. And so if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We stand as an act of reverence as we read and receive the word of God. From Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. And please join me as we pray for the spirit's blessing over this time. Father in heaven, this morning as we open your word, Lord, would you open our hearts, open our ears. Spirit, would you illuminate these words that they would fall upon good soil. Oh Lord, use me, your fallible servant, to proclaim your infallible word. And may it penetrate into our hearts. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you know a little bit about me, um, along with my responsibilities at church, I have the great privilege of working for a missions agency called Surge. Um, In this position, I have the great opportunity to speak with and talk to various missionaries from all across the world. And in talking to these missionaries, there is one question that I often like to ask, um, often out of curiosity. I asked them, why did you go? Why did you give up everything that you have to go into a foreign land? And always in all of their answers, it's clear that each of these people are motivated. They're fueled by something in particular. They go because of a particular reason. Some will say I go because I have a heart for this specific group of people, this specific nation. Others will say, I go because I want to use the gifts that God has given me, such as my medical expertise or my business acumen. I want to go and use these tools to share the gospel with people all around the world. And some very simply say, I go because God commands me to because God said so. You see friends, if I were to ask you this question, how would you answer? What would motivate you to go, to leave the comfort of your home, to leave the comfort of your family and your friends for the sake of the gospel? In other words, what would fuel you to make missions a top priority in your life? What would fuel your heart for missions? You see, all throughout scripture, one thing that is apparent is God's desire for the nations. God's purpose in all of human history is to gather a people to himself from every corner of humanity, from every tribe and language and nation and tongue, and all throughout scripture, it is clear that history from Genesis to Revelation is moving towards this great end. In our passage today, we get a small glimpse into what this great end looks like. And we find what our motivation, what our fuel for missions should be. And so this morning, our main point of gospel meditation is this. Christ's purchase of his people fuels our missions. Christ's purchase of his people fuels our missions. Now our passage this morning, um, it's, we're in the book of Revelation and some of you may be wondering, I've never turned there. It's too confusing for me. So I'll let all the scholars do that. And, and it, it's, I want to kind of unpack this passage for us. And, it, and this passage this morning gives us a picture of heaven. In particular, it's sort of a behind the scenes look into the throne room of heaven. John has his eyes peeled back and the curtains drawn, and he gets a sneak peek into what the throne room looks like. See, in the chapter previous from this one, Revelation 4, John, the writer of Revelation, the one who receives these visions from God, is brought into God's very throne room, and he sees the Almighty God seated upon his throne, shining so brilliantly. That, God, that John can only describe him as the purest of precious gems. We read in verse 3 of chapter 3, And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. A tremendous picture of glory and purity in its highest form. And so our passage this morning picks up from there, and John tells us that at the right hand of the Almighty God, who is sitting upon his throne, there is a scroll. And and on the scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And this scroll, most scholars agree, contains God's very plan of judgment and redemption for all of creation. It contains the very eternal decrees of God, his purpose for the entire universe and all creatures and all ages and in all eternity. Oh, what we would do to get our hands on that scroll. It's his very plan of sweet salvation for his people and bitter judgment for all of his enemies. It's filled completely with writing on the front and on the back, meaning that it is God's comprehensive, all-inclusive, detailed, unchangeable plan for his creation. It tells the story from the beginning to the end. In other words, the scroll will tell John who wins and how. The scroll has all of the answers to how the story will end. But you see, there is a problem we read in verse two, a mighty angel proclaims to John who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And an immediate response to this, we see and we hear that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. See, there's only silence. In response to the angel's question, who is worthy to open the scroll, none of the four living creatures surrounding the throne could break the seals on the scroll and to discover its very contents. None of the elders or any among the millions and millions of angels surrounding the very throne of the Almighty God could open the scroll, for there is no one who is worthy none who is worthy. This brings John to tears as he begins to weep aloud. This scroll, which contains the complete eradication of all evil on this earth, the ultimate and final defeat of death in the world, the final removal of all suffering and pain and persecution and hurt, the end of all physical disease and the recreation of a new heavens and a new earth where the new creation will be worshiping his name forever and ever. Who is able to open the scroll and bring about these things? Is there no one who can ensure that God's enemies will be judged and his people vindicated. Is there none worthy? You see, because we have the scripture right in front of us, we know exactly where this story is going. We have all the spoilers. We know exactly where this will lead. But pause with me and imagine for a second the sorrow, the disappointment that John feels because of this utter hopelessness of mankind before the great presence of the Almighty God. What would cause you to weep in this way? Imagine the distress that fills John's heart that causes him to weep. Is there really no one who is worthy on heaven or on earth? Friends, does the thought of this make you weep? Does this bring sorrow to your hearts? the very thought of humanity's total and permanent and complete separation from God, the separation of creation from its creator, the thought of death and suffering, reigning victorious over all mankind, the thought of sin's victory over death. Is there none worthy to bring about God's victory over sin and over death? See, what this does is that it reveals to us the very hopeless state of man. Because of mankind's sinfulness, if it were up to us, there would be no salvation for mankind. There would be no reconciliation to God. There is no way to escape from his righteous judgment, for there is no one worthy. For sin makes all of these things impossible. Indeed, there is none worthy. This is why, this is the very reason why John is weeping. He weeps at the eternal wrath that is awaiting sinful creation before a holy God. The silence to the question of who is worthy. What it does is it only confirms the very sinful state of mankind. No one is worthy, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Mankind is utterly hopeless before the presence of the Almighty God. Brothers and sisters, think with me for a second what this means for those across the world who have not heard the gospel or who do not know the name of Jesus Christ. One pastor illustrates it this way. Many have asked... How about the innocent man who lives in the most rural and remote part of the world, who has never heard the gospel before? What happens to him when he dies? Will he go to heaven? And the answer to that is actually really easy. Yes, he will go to heaven. But the only problem is that this man does not exist. If there was, he would not need any saving for he is innocent and he would already have gone to, he would already go to heaven he already has the ticket to heaven but the problem is there is no such thing as an innocent man does the thought of this make you weep as John did does the thought that there is no innocent, all are in need of hope, does the thought of this make you weep as John did but we know where this story is going. And praise God that there is indeed good news. There is hope for sinners for such as you and I. There is hope for mankind after all. One of the elders declares to John, weep no more, for there is someone who is worthy to open the scroll. What a beautiful picture this is, like a parent telling their child to stop crying. The elder proclaims to John, do not weep. There is no need to be sorrowful, for the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered Weep no more. The one promised in Genesis 49, the Lion of Judah, to whom shall be the obedience of the peoples, is Christ Jesus, and he has conquered. The root of David, who Isaiah prophecies about in Isaiah 11 when he writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, is Christ Jesus, and he has conquered. The root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the promised Messiah, King Jesus, has come and he has conquered. He has conquered death, he has defeated the grave, he has defeated the power of sin once and for all. This is the one who is worthy. He is worthy and he has conquered. Yes, indeed, he has conquered. But how did he conquer? What did he do? Well, John turns around and expecting to see a great roaring lion. Instead, he turns and sees a lamb. This picture of the great conquering king defies all of our expectations. For we look for the king, the one riding on the white horse with a sword at his side and a great army and light streaming all around him. But instead there is a lamb as though it had been slain. For you see Christ Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, conquers by suffering as a lamb, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As John the Baptist declares about Jesus in John chapter one, this lamb suffers by paying the penalty of the sin of his people of you and me and experiencing the condemnation reserved for his people. But through his suffering, through his suffering, he conquers over death and grave. He conquers over sin once and for all. Is there no one who is worthy? Is there none worthy? Yes, there is one who is worthy. There is only one. For the Lamb of God is worthy. The one who is worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals is a perfect, spotless, and righteous Lamb without blemish or spot. Perfectly righteous, he was slain for the sins of fallen humanity. Experiencing the burden of God's wrath, he obtained righteousness and life for all those who belong to him. The lamb who was delivered to death for our sinful nature and yet raised once more from the grave. Yes, This lamb alone is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Jesus alone is worthy. He is worthy for he was slain, he is worthy because he was slain. (laughs) And this is why we hear a new song being sung by the creatures and the elders before the very Lamb of God, before Christ Jesus. We read in verse 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, is worthy, for he triumphed over death by suffering as a lamb. And by his suffering and by his death, Christ purchased his people. That's why the song continues. And they sing, by your blood, you ransomed people. You see, Christ's blood shed through his suffering was a payment to free his people from the penalty of their sins and free them from rebellious hearts and free them from the wrath of God. This was the payment that had to be paid as a payment for sins. And the payment was the suffering and death of the lamb. This is what the lamb of God did for his people. This, dear friends, is what the lamb of God did for you and for me. And not only that, notice that it says, by your blood, you ransom people for God. Once they were not God's people, once we were not God's people, once we were alienated, we were not God's people as a treasure or a family. We were enemies because of the sin that separated us from him. But now the people are a people for God. We are the ransomed people who have been ransomed for him to become his people, to become His possession. And by the purchase of the lamb, verse 10 tells us, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. The people of God shall reign on the earth. So now those who are purchased, those who have been ransomed by the blood of the lamb, belong to God as a kingdom, as priests, and as co-rulers over all of the earth with Christ Jesus as our King. As one commentator writes, this is what this people were purchased for, to belong to God as his treasured possession, a kingdom under his care, a priesthood in his service, and magistrates sharing his reign. What good news this is for the ransomed people of God. What good news this is for you and for me. And so you may be wondering, so what? Yes, I am a part of the ransomed people of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is great news. And we could stop there. I could close and this sermon could be over and that would still be great, great, tremendous news. And indeed it is. But you see, our passage does not just stop there. The song of the elders continues and they sing by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Who are the people that were ransomed? Who are the people that the Lamb of God ransomed? They are the very people of God chosen before the foundation of the world, the church the bride of Christ, the sheep, the children of God, and those whom he chose, he purchased. Those whom he purchased, he called, and those whom he called, he delivered and gave them a new heart. And those with this new heart, he justified and forgave. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And don't miss this. These people, The very people that the lamb did this for, the very people that the lamb was ransomed for, they are from every tribe and language and people and nation. The ransomed people of God are from every tribe, from every language, from every people and from every nation. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ was slain. He was, he died to purchase men and women from every single tribe and language and people and nation on this earth. Think for a moment how profound this is. You see what it's not saying is that you purchased every tribe and language and people and nation. What it's not saying is that you purchased all the people in every tribe and people and language and nation. Otherwise, there is no need to go, friends. For if Christ died for everyone universally, if Christ died for every single person on this earth, that, that does not compel us to go. There's very little that, should, that would move us to go if Christ died for everyone universally. But if Christ died for his people and his people consist of people from every tribe, language, people, and nation, dear friends, that demands the extension of the gospel offer to every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is why Christ's purchase of his people fuels our missions. If we, as his people, truly believe that Christ has purchased his people, and if we believe that his people are from every tribe and tongue and nation, then should we not go? Should we not go to every tribe and tongue and nation proclaiming the good news of salvation? Should we not go? to pursue those whom Christ's blood has been shed. You see, our obedience to the Great Commission, the great famous missions call of go and make disciples is incomplete, dear friends, if we only go and make disciples. Yes, that is great if we go and make disciples, but our commission is to go and make disciples of all of the nations, of all of the peoples, of all of the tribes, of all of the languages on this earth. And so if there are over 6,000 people groups who have not been reached with the gospel, should that not light a fire in our hearts? Should that not lead us to participate in the very mission of God. If there are people from every tribe and language and people and nation who do not know him, should we not go? See, this is why missions must be central in the heart of every single believer because it's a key part of the plan and the very will of God if it's the key if it's key to the will of God that Christ has died for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, should we not go? And so if I may, if I may add to what I posed earlier as our main gospel proposition at the beginning of this sermon, it is not only that Christ's people, that Christ's purchase of his people fuels our nation but it's Christ's purchase of his people from every tribe and language and people and nation that fuels our missions as the people of God, as the ransomed people of God, our very marching orders from Christ. Our King is this, I have elected people. I have chosen people. I have died for people from every nation and people. I've purchased them with my blood and so go and get them. Go and get them for my sake. As we close, I wanna close with this story about two young German Christians. These two young believers here of an island in the West Indies. This was um, a couple hundred years ago where an atheist British owner was a, a, he was a slave owner. He had a few thousand slaves. And the owner came out and said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island, will ever come to this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house away from everyone on the island until he has to leave. But he or she will never talk to any of us about God or about this guy, Jesus. I am through with all of this nonsense. 3000 slaves brought to an Island in the Atlantic and there to live and die without hearing of the good news of Christ. And so when the two young men hear of this Island, when they hear that there is no one who could share the gospel to these people, they determined to go by any means possible, by any means necessary. And through their trade, they eventually find a way to get into the island. And so they set off under the guise of of tradesmen into this foreign land. They go into this foreign land and they vow to remain there for the rest of their lives, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And as they bid farewell to their families and their friends, those whom they would probably never see again as the ship slipped away into the sea towards the land of the unknown, full of people who were unlike them in language or culture or background. These two young men boldly raised their hands, waved to their friends and family, and proclaimed these words. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. You see, the Lamb of God was slain and has already purchased people from every tribe and every nation with his blood. And if we believe this to be true, may we go so that the Lamb of God who was slain for us would receive the reward of his suffering, his people for whom he was ransomed and their worship that only he deserves. The lamb of God by his blood has already purchased them, has already purchased us. Our job now is only to go and gather what is rightfully his. And so dear friends in our going, in our sending, In our investing, in our caring, in our partnering, in our participating in the great work of global missions, in the great work that God is doing across the world, may we be driven by this. May this be the cry of Cornerstone. And may this be the fuel for all of our missions that the slain, the slain lamb the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ would receive all the blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever from his ransomed people, from every tribe and language and people and nation, so that one day in glory, he will hear the worship of these very people singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are awestruck that you would send your son, your one and only son, and that Jesus, you would die and shed your blood for sinners like us. And so it it leaves us even more awestruck that you would do that for every people, from from people, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so Lord, if that reality is true for us, if the reality of your purchase of your people is true for us, help us to go. Move in our hearts, move in the hearts of your people that we would go, that we would partner, that we would care for, that we would invest, and that we would participate in the great work that you are doing. So, Lord, would your name be proclaimed in all of the earth, that we would proclaim the honor and the glory of the slain and risen Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, the slain Lamb of God. Amen.